Well, good morning. Listen, if this is your first day, thank you. Or if you've been here, you're going to be seated. Whatever day you come here on, I want to say this. Whatever day you come from emotionally, whatever life, whatever week, whatever past, and you find yourself in church, and whether that feels like a good thing or a bad thing, we're all in this together, right? You know what we want today? Today, we pray for an encounter and an experience with the divine God of the universe. Not just church, not just hearing somebody speak in some songs. Man, what if we left this place somewhat different, changed than when we came in? Is that okay with you guys? So Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us clearly. We pray you would, would change us. We want to be uh, more like you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. We are in this James series probably week five or so, and the book of James, remember he is Jesus' little half-brother, and he uh, is straight and to the point, and today he's going to talk about a topic that um, every single one of us deals with. This is one of those sermons where I'm not worried about somebody going, I just didn't hear anything that was for me. This is for you. This is for me. James even says this is for all of us. Today we're talking about our words, <laughs> and how they bring life and death. And when James refers to the tongue in here, when he says, when he talks about the tongue, he's talking about our words, okay? And so as we get into this, he's going to go straight at us. He gives us one verse in James 1, and then we'll go over to James 3. You can follow along on the screens, or you can open your Bible to James 3 ahead if you want. Read along with me. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now let me just ask you something. Christians all throughout history have claimed that we we believe in redemption and, and love and grace and forgiveness, yet what are Christians often known for? You see, our words have gone out throughout history and condemned and judged and our religion has been deemed worthless by a lot of people. And James hits it right in the face here. Listen, if you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your, des- your religion is worthless. Because how can anybody believe that you really love God and love people when you're just spewing hate and judgment? He continues in James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many, many ways. We all stumble in many ways when it comes to our speech. Anyone who is never at fault... And what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the entire animal. Or take a ship, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small, small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it, itself, it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, We curse human beings who are made in his likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? 
neither could salt springs produce fresh water. In the, uh, in the words of theologian Ronald Burgundy, well, that escalated quickly. James ramps up there and takes us to a place where, watch what you say, it's on fire from hell. And, and he, he continues on this. He, he doesn't say, listen, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. He goes well past that. He tells us our words can set our lives on fire and change the whole course of our lives. And I have to be honest, I feel incredibly convicted on this topic. I feel disqualified to even preach on this. And my words have often been my greatest strength and they, they brought me influence and they, they brought me romance and, and um, seeing God move and transform people's lives. But words are also my greatest weakness. As with most, th- most things, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness and I've seen my words be the single greatest source of pain in my life as it has brought me great humiliation and Heartbreak, breakdowns, and seeing people I love wounded by what I've said. As a teaching pastor, as your teaching pastor, I want you to know that this is, this is the battlefield of my life with the most heated struggle. And I want to invite you today to, to, to be honest with yourself as you hear this. Because again, when we hear these blunt teachings, we always want to think about someone else. But I want you today to turn your mirror inwards, and to be honest with yourself where you've been hurt by words and where your words are hurting others. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything I'm not going to do myself. And in in the value of authenticity, I'm going to tell you that just this Friday night, this week, Amy and I had a a, a Friday night stay-in date night planned, you know, movie and all that stuff, and things did not go as hoped, as always happens, or as often happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things got um, more emotional, and, and through the process of a growing disagreement, we didn't yell, we don't throw things, she, um, she doesn't hit me or beat me. Um, we were, but through, through our disagreement, we were both injured. And, and I wounded my wife's heart, and we ended up our evening alone <laughs> in the fallout. And, and I would love to say that I did all that just for an illustration, but, but there is no illustration <laughs> worth that but this is something um, that, that, that impacts me in my life. And so I sat there on Saturday in a daze, like, God, now what do I do? I gotta, tomorrow I have to speak to everybody about the power of words. Oh, great job. And God reminded me that we are forgiven in Jesus. And he said, speak my words with your experience because we all deal with this. All of us at some level have seen our words hurt, All of us have been hurt by words. The average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. Now, some of you blow that away, but the average of all the introverts and extroverts, it's it's one-fifth of your life, and in in one day, your words could fill a 50-page book. In in one week, your words could fill a 350-page novel. In a month, you've just written a 1,400-page tome. You're writing a book that's your life by what comes out of your mouth. And what genre is it? Like, is it horror? Like, uh, horror? Like, oh, no, the worry and what could go wrong? Is it, is it rom-com? Is it thriller and conspiracy? Like, what is your life? What is your mouth writing? We talk so much. At some point, we begin to think that most of what we say doesn't matter. We believe this, that a lot of what we say just doesn't have that much effect or it's neutral. But the truth is, our words really do matter. 
And more than that, our words have consequence for ourselves and for others. Listen to these words of Solomon in Proverbs. In Proverbs 18.21, he says, Your words have the power of life and death. And you have probably been the recipient in your past at some point of somebody speaking death to your heart, to your passion, to your identity. And you've had those moments with somebody when they've spoke life into you. And you've felt that warmth. Proverbs 12, 18, careless words are like sword thrusts. Those words we just speak carelessly, we wound people. But the words of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4, kind words heal and build up while cutting words wound and maim. You see, our words, they build people up and they break people down. Our words have the power to heal and the power to hurt. And think on this, your friendships that you have, they started with words. The friendships you've lost ended with words. Words, you gain and you lose trust. With our words, we build our children's identities. And with our words, we break them down. It is by our words that our character is revealed. It's by our words that our faith is revealed. Our words show more about us than we know. And in our society, this is a really hot button issue because words are flying around left and right. And so we have a video for us this morning that kind of highlights some of this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How wonderful that phrase just fits so perfectly together to make my first grade self feel so good. Too bad it was a lie. Words do hurt. And they may be birthed from our mouths with the most careful fabrication of intent, but they just have a funny way of circumventing a man's skin and bones and muscle and flesh and getting right to his soul, killing the life that he had so tenuously hanging there in the first place. No wonder God gave us a new command. Speak slow, speak light. See, the Bible says our words can cut like the sharpest of knives, so I'll say it again in case you didn't catch it the first time. Speak slow, speak light. The writer of James asked, can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? How can we say things like, praise God, Hallelujah, Jesus is king. But then say things like, she's kind of chubby. He's kind of slow, yeah. She'll do whatever the guys want. I mean, whatever. I don't know. I mean, do you really think you can sing? That's a real stupid dream. I mean, do you know anybody that has ever helped a homeless person find a job? Don't hang out with them black kids over there. That's how you get robbed or stabbed or murdered. You're a Mexican, which means you're only good as a low-paid worker. Why would you ruin your life by getting knocked up at the age of 15? Don't you know that nobody's gonna wanna marry you now, no matter what you say? How can you call yourself a Christian when you dress that way? God can never love anybody who calls themselves gay or bi or trans. I'm scared of them white kids over there. They clicked up like the Klan. Must be nice to be rich and pretty. Why are you complaining? Your life must be perfect. I guarantee you that girl over there is not a virgin. They're like an ill-advised surgeon. Our words. 
with our words, we praise our Lord and Father, and at the same time, we speak curses over human beings that have been made in God's likeness? Yes, that's the overweight girl, the dude that's cognitively impaired, the untalented girl, the dude that's socially unaware, the black kids at your school and the ones that go to the bad neighborhood, the immigrant kids whose parents just want to give their children something good, the pregnant girl who's needing the church to rally around her, the gay or lesbian guy or girl who is profoundly searching for the answer, the rich and pretty chick whose dad is dying of cancer and therefore her life is not perfect. It hasn't been anyway. And even if that girl isn't a virgin, how is that your business anyway? These are all of God's creations. So are you and me. We speak blessings and curses. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. So speak slow, speak life. A lesson from James 3. What James is saying here, be alive. it's being played out in our society, be free. in our nation. We're seeing that words are hurting children. And it follows them home on social media. It used to be you could get made fun of at school and go home and get away from it. Now it follows them home. And for adults, we're not immune. We have things that stick with us from our past and affect our present. I was talking to someone who has a friend, and 15 years ago, he made an offhand comment about how his wife was parenting their kids and didn't think twice about it. And 15 years later, in a moment of authenticity, she revealed that that had stuck with her every day. And she heard his voice about how she was parenting. A friend of mine has uh, grown kids of her own. In fact, she's a grandmother, and she was telling us about a time when she was just 11 years old. And she was taking up piano lessons, and her daddy, who didn't say this out of anger, he just made the comment, it's a good thing you're learning to play piano because you definitely can't sing. And she said, you know, he wasn't being mean about it, and it didn't really bother me now, but I remember that moment. I remember that room. You see, words can cut and they can affect us and they can stick with us. And James goes back in, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Listen, we all misspeak, we all mess up, we all manipulate, we all curse. We struggle with our words. And anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. What James is saying here, listen, he's not saying if, if, you, if you can control your tongue, you'll never sin. He's saying, listen, your tongue is rooted in your heart. And if your speech, the way you speak is pure, it says a lot about your heart. And that will go a long ways with how you deal with sin in your body. He goes on, we put bits in the mouths of horses and make them obey us. And we can turn the whole thing. You know, a mighty steed can run an average of 27 miles per hour for about two miles. If they're so much stronger than any human, strong enough, we judge our cars based on horsepower. Horses throughout history are one of the main things that, that let one civilization dominate another one. Countries and nations crumbled because of horses, and horses did what they were told because of tiny pieces of metal. That one bridle, one bit, can control a horse. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds and steered by small rudders, wherever the pilot wants to go. Uh, a mighty vessel can accomplish amazing things, but it's controlled by one rudder. 
The Nimitz-class aircraft carrier has a rudder that is 29 feet tall and 22 feet long. Now, that's a, not a small rudder, right? That's a giant rudder. But if you put it in proportion to the Nimitz aircraft carrier itself, which happens to be 1,092 feet long, that's over three football fields. The rudder is tiny compared to the ship. And you'll see here behind there, look at the S's. The rudder has steered three football fields back and forth on a maneuver. One little tiny rudder controlling a floating city of 6,000 people. And it says that your tongue is the rudder of your life. It can turn your entire life this way or that way, for better or for worse. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And, and we get this here in this valley, don't we? We don't have to think too much to think back about Lake Christine fire where one spark lit up 12,588 acres. One spark kept a lot of us up late at night to see if Elgebel would burn. And one spark from your mouth can keep somebody up all night dealing with the wildfire that you have just lit in their heart. See, the tongue is small, but the repercussions are big. James goes on with the flames, although now it's not our words that don't just start fires, because he says in verse 6, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. The words of your mouth are the sparks sent out from your flaming tongue in your mouth. James calls this, calls this a world of evil. It makes me wonder, do you think James has any experience with this? He seems to be pretty vehemently talking about these things. I would guess that James has felt in his core the effects of some words that have lit him on fire. And I bet James, as blunt as he is, we see how blunt and to the point he is, you know there have been times where he has spoken to someone and seen the damage that was done. Our tongue has the ability for evil unlike anything else in our body. In fact, it goes on, it corrupts the whole body. Your tongue can endanger your whole body. And here's, a, here's an illustration. One day, the teeth and the tongue were in a quarrel. The teeth were tired of the tongue, ruining everything for them. And so the teeth ganged up and they, they looked at the tongue and they said to the tongue, if we press down just a little, we can cut you. See, a better shape up tongue was completely nonplussed. The tongue dryly replied, oh yeah? If I just insult the right person in this bar, all 32 of you get knocked out. <laughs> you see, your words in, in, uh, impact your entire body. He goes on, your words set the whole course of one's life. And this is one of the strongest statements he puts in here. Your words set the whole course of one's life. I want you to think to some of the greatest and worst moments in your life. Think back to some of the most beautiful, glorious moments and some of the moments that were the hardest. Moments like when you were in a, a doctor's office and they used words to tell you a diagnosis. Or a phone call that came later than a call should come that told you some news. You see, words can change the course of our lives. Words are at the epicenter of all of our greatest events and worst. In fact, here's, you know, words are how you ask somebody out on a date. 
And, and then on the date, you use words to, to flatter them and speak lovingly. And then eventually, you use words to say, will you marry me? And you hope, you hope that she uses words to say yes. But also on this other side, words are thrust in fights that lead to wounds. And words are, they cause slices that lead to resentment, which can lead to these words, I want a divorce. There's lots of sentences that change our lives. Sentences from the past, like, you'll never amount to much. Why can't you be more like your sister? Sentences in the future that can change the course of our, what's going to happen? Um, I think I want another baby. I quit. I'm leaving. I love you. I hate you. At the center of our lives is this little rudder, and it sets the course of where we've been, make it set the course of where we're going. Be careful how you speak. Speak life. Your words set the whole course of one's life on fire and, it, 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 and is itself set on fire by hell. A tongue that speaks death has its roots, not in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom speaks forgiveness and grace and love. And when we speak those words, it is not God's kingdom that is at work. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with our tongue, we curse human beings who are made in God's likeness. We praise Jesus. We just did with our songs, right? Many of us just praise Jesus with our songs. And yet it says we curse human beings who are made in God's image. Which humans does this include? Which humans are in God's likeness? It's the ones you can't stand. Them too. The ones on the other side of the political aisle. It's, it's the ones that don't look like you. The ones from a different country or different background than you. It's the ones who don't speak like you or don't vote like you. It's the, those ones that do things you would never do. Listen, you might think that they look nothing like you, but the Bible is clear they look a lot like God. So when you speak death and you, or you curse those people, you are, it says you are cursing the people in his likeness. Be careful how you speak to people. Your words have power. What this tells us is that God sees us in a way that we don't see ourselves. And, and in fact, God sees other people in a way we don't see them. The person that you struggle to speak good about or, or, the, or the person that you find is easiest to speak bad about, that person, do you know how God sees them? You, you might see an arrogant jerk. God sees a deeply wounded, insecure person. So when we have God's perspective where we can see people the way he sees them, we speak differently to them. Anytime you are cursing somebody or gossiping about somebody or disparaging an entire group of people, stop and ask whose perspective on those people you have. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives? No, we get this. Can a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You see, what he's saying here is those of us who have a heart that's been cleansed and purified by the work of Jesus, we should be the ones who have cleansed and purified loving conversations and words of encouragement coming out of us. Jesus spoke to this very thing. He said this, and this is, this, this is so convicting. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
can tell a lot about somebody by how they speak. And if you are bold enough, and if you have friends that are bold enough, you can ask them, what, tell me about my language, tell me about who I speak about, tell me about how I speak, and because they are picking up on things from your heart that you do not know you're putting out there. Our heart is revealed by the words we use. Jesus goes on, he says, a good man brings good things from the good stored up in him. An evil person brings evil from the evil stored up within them. It goes back to where, do you, where are your roots? You know, here at the Orchard, one of our core axioms from Charlie is that unity is our story. We are a unique church and that we are united under Jesus, though we are vastly different in this room. Take both services and all these people, we are vastly different. In our church, we have Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Green Party and Purple Party and Presbyterians and Baptists, Catholics, Methodists. We got Raider fans. We have creative artists. We have accountants. We have singles and married and divorced. We got people from Aspen. We got people from Rifle. We come together for one reason, and it's not because of that list. I don't want a church where the list is all the same. We come together as a church because we are under Jesus, the head of all things, who died on the cross and rose again, and through him we have access to the Father. He is the main thing. And because of that, we can come together regardless of which way you vote because we know we have a king before we have a president. So we come together under the main thing, and unity is our story. Nothing, nothing ruins unity faster than words of division. And in a room this size, there are probably people on one side who do not or have not spoken to someone on the other side for a long time. And disunity comes from our tongue. Part of being a part of the orchard is God is calling us to be a church where we speak life about our Savior, we speak life about who we are, and we speak life to people around us. Every, people different than you. And part of being the orchard, we always say we love God and love people. Part of loving people is using your words. So here, here in this house, Jesus is the main thing. Unity is our story. And we love God and love people in word and in deed. And what will ruin this is words of division. So be careful how you speak. Words matter. Words bring life. Words bring death. And right now, in some way, in some way, you are sitting here hearing me. You are operating on words that were spoken to you in your past. Something has been said to you recently or in your deep past, and you are still operating on that woundedness or that glory. It could have been a parent. It could have been somebody who meant something to you. And right now, you are speaking words to someone else that they will carry with them the rest of their life. Words bring life. Words can bring death. In 1883, the first person settled Newcastle to grow crops. It wasn't even five years later that the town of Newcastle was incorporated and it was bustling with coal miners. The Colorado Midland Railroad made its way to Newcastle because of the, uh, the coal rush. And the coal rush always followed the silver rush. They needed the coal to smelt the silver. And Newcastle, Glenwood area was ripe with it. The Vulcan mine between Glenwood and Newcastle was renowned for the coal it produced because it was soft and it burned hot. 
The Vulcan mine exploded twice, once on February 1896, killing 49 miners, and again on December 13th, 1913, killing 37 more miners. And we had people in the first service who had relatives in both of those explosions. This story, to some of you, is part of your family's history. After that second explosion in 1913, the mine was closed. But something happened that makes the Vulcan mine an oddity. You see, it was so explosive, and it started this huge fire and they finally got it controlled and they extinguished it on the surface. But the Vulcan mine continued to burn below the surface. The coal seam fire. It burned there deep within the burning mountain. And on days you can actually still see smoke, can't you? A hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, a single spark exploded caused a fire, and then went underground below the surface. But there are times when the conditions are right, when the stress and the pressure gets just right, that the temperatures increase to the point where they can melt steel. And there have been times where it ignites to the surface, once again explodes, and again, we have to send people up there, and it causes a mess, and we have to deal with it, and there's destruction from that century-old spark. It smolders there. And if you notice, if you have eyes to see, you'll see that no snow can melt in those places. And even stranger, the places where that fire smolders, there is no new growth. Nothing grows there. You see, Orchard, sometime in your life, there might have been a small spark that was spoken to you. And it hit with explosive flames. And it affected you. And, and as a kid, you had a temper. And, and it would just, you could blow up at any moment. But as we get older, we learn to control some of that, don't we? We push it down. But below the surface, that old spark is just smoldering. And given the right conditions and the right amount of stress, it ignites to the surface again. And people have to deal with the fallout. And there's destruction once again. Perhaps you're somebody who said, I've always, I've always just remember being angry. I do pretty good, but I lose my patience and it just comes forth. And in the place of those old wounds, there's no new growth. There are places in our hearts that are as immature as the day that spark first blew up. Orchard God is calling us to speak life. But part of that is to know that you have been somebody who has had death spoken to you. To forgive, to know there's freedom from that, that you don't have to be controlled by those deep enders, embers smoldering under there. Today, today maybe we admit, I'm a person who's consistently, something is smoldering under there and it explodes under the people I love the most. God help me. God help me with what's in my heart because it comes out of my mouth. And the glory of God is that he forgives us of those things. And the glory of God is he says, you, the hope of God is not just heaven someday. The hope of God is peace and forgiveness today and that he can transform me even tomorrow. And that I can be a different person than I have been. 
If you find yourself being like the coal seam fire with smoldering embers deep within you that can blow up at any second, the, listen, it, we start with just admitting, that, God, that is me. Forgive me. And then we go to the people who we have exploded on. If appropriate, there are some people that it is just too wounded. A couple years ago, I, w- I, um, I was in the doctor's office with my daughter. Um, <clears throat> she was, I think, one or two. And there was another woman in there with her daughter, same age. And I recognized the woman. We rode the marble school bus when I was a kid. Six-hour school bus ride to get to Carbondale. And... Um, <laughs> I got more education on the bus than I did at the school. I, I'm ashamed to admit this, I made fun of this girl every day. The bus ride was 45 minutes long, and both, each way, and, and I, I bet none of it was enjoyable for her. I made her childhood just so terrible. And I saw her there in the doctor's office, and I was just crushed. Watching her there as a mother with a beautiful daughter, seeing the love she had for her little girl, I was not about to ruin her day and tell her who I was. I didn't say a word about who I was. But I went home with just a heavy heart. I said, God, I, I can't believe, I mean, this has been something I've dealt with in my past and my present. And, and thanks to technology, and I, I went on Facebook and I wrote, her, I wrote her a message. And I just said, I am so sorry. I own 100% of that. I am so sorry for what I did when we were kids and what I said. I saw you there in the doctor's office and you were a beautiful woman with a beautiful daughter and a beautiful family and I just bless you. You never have to write back. You don't have to say anything. Just know I am so sorry that I did that. She is a strong woman and a gracious woman. She wrote back and she said, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. We had some more correspondence, and I see her around town about once every two months. And we give a hug to each other. She's stronger than me. <laughs> She's more gracious than me. But I think back to the death that I dealt to her. And I just pray that it did not impact her life too much. And, I, and it makes me think now about my kids, and it makes me think about other people and my wife. And, and, and who is it in your life that you might need to go back and just say, I am so sorry. I am so incredibly sorry. I was wrong. Don't justify. Take 100% responsibility for the death that you dealt with your words. I think God would want us to be those kind of people because you can set someone else free, hopefully, and set yourself free. And the other one is if you're somebody who has been the recipient of those kinds of words, to forgive that person wherever they might be, they could be dead already, but to forgive them will set you free to move forward. Orchard, our words are important. And we say we're a people who love God and love people. We want to be a church that loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves people as ourselves. But our religion is worthless, James says, if we can't control the tongue. And so I would challenge you this week. I want you to be a person who intentionally speaks life this week. Think of those people who need it most, not those that are the easiest to do. Think of the people in your life that you know need it from you. Write them a text today from this room. Call them, get together with them, whatever it would be, but be a person who speaks life. I want you to do something else with me. If you wouldn't mind standing up. Everybody stand.
You don't have to fully participate. Nothing bad's going to happen, but I just want to step into this moment and put a hand over your lips and pray after me. Jesus, forgive me for when these lips have spoken death. Forgive me for the hurt my mouth has caused. May this mouth speak life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Orchard, as we go into communion, you can be seated. As we go into communion, we're going to hold the symbol of Jesus' blood and body. It is because of this we have freedom. It is because of this that you have forgiveness for anything you have ever said. If there's condemnation today, know that in Jesus, you're forgiven. And as you sit there and you hold the tangible symbols of life, May you be a person who speaks life. Amen? We're going to have people up front. If you want to pray over this topic or anything else in your life, we would love to pray for you. Let's be a people.